On today's episode, Dave interviews Ann Ryerson. Ann is a Second City alum who was directed by Harold Ramis and was in cast with Bill Murray, John Belushi, and Betty Thomas. She's been in Caddyshack, Minority Report, and A Wedding. Ann was a regular on Private Benjamin and has appeared in Mad Men, Grey's Anatomy, and numerous episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm as reoccurring character Nan Funkhauser. I'm Ian Foley. This is ADD Comedy. Well, well, we don't have to talk about this. We'll talk no, about No, no, no. We can talk about it. No, know, but just, we can, you can talk about whatever you want. Well, that's what I'm saying right now. This is what we're doing. We're talking about this. But All you're right. saying, if you don't mind talking about George and Bernadette being married mm-hmm. and how long you've been married, because that really is a substantial amount of time. Well, it is. And I think that, um, I think that, well, I have to be very careful about what I say here, but I think I'm extremely fortunate that I turned 21 in 1970. So I... In, I, I went through my 20s during the really the height of the American sexual revolution. I mean, really, the 70s were just wild from the beginning of it to the end of it. And I got married in 78. So you, wait, wait, what did you do in 71? I got, oh, well, from 71 to 78, we won't mm-hmm. talk about what I did. Because <laughs> what I'm saying is that, and I think that's one of the reasons my marriages lasted. I was not, I was not a virgin when I got married. Mm-hmm. And I think that helped because I, I, I know that sounds weird, but I think I had, uh, you know, had a lot, I had a lot of boyfriends. And so uh, it's, you know, I'd, it, the smorgasbord I'd sampled. Right. And so I think that when I got into a relationship, I was, I just thought, you cannot change this person, Anne. This is it. You love him just as he is now and do not expect any changes. Whoa, because if you do, it ain't gonna work. It's not gonna work. Yeah. And the only thing that you can change, you can only change yourself. You can only change yourself. That's the whole thing with est. Right. 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 Well, there's mm-hmm. est, but it's also Buddhism is yeah. in that way. The only yeah. source of suffering is not acceptance. The thing that that whatever it is that like we can only change the outlook that we have, and the outlook that we have is almost arbitrary in a way. Where I w- I just came back from two weeks. Uh, in your in Europe. Yes, yes. Right? It was great. Was it fun? It was really, really fun. One of the things, and I went by myself because I travel by myself all the time. So there are a lot of opportunities to be existential. And mm-hmm. I don't mean to to go through an existential angst because I think that people put those two things together. But the idea of I am here alone on this planet mm-hmm. and my perception of what is happening is solely my perception and it it can change in a moment. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the idea of saying, well, people, are, you know, if you get mugged and then suddenly you're looking at everybody is out to mug you. But if you also say at the heart of everything, everybody's just trying to get along. And when you look at it in that way, I think we open our hearts more. So. May I say, though? Absolutely. So, but I don't think everybody is just trying to get along. I don't know what you're talking about with that, but. Maybe I don't know if you mean trying to get along just with their family, but unfortunately, I don't think on this earth that everybody is just trying to get along. I think there are definitely people who are trying to dominate or change other people, especially religious ways of thinking. And with that, maybe we should go to improv because well, I probably am going to go into dangerous ground. Well, for me, that's what this, I, the, the podcast is not about oh. improv. I mean, oh. it's about comedy, but it's also about mm-hmm. points of view. And so I've had many conversations about the com- that, that revolve around what it is that we're talking about. Oh, okay. More that revolve around what it is that we're talking about than about improv. Because improv will come into that because it's foundational to a lot of our points of view. But it's not exactly what it is that we're doing. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. Well, and, I, and yeah, I'm a journalism major from college. Uh, so am I. Oh, where'd you go to school? Northern Illinois University. Yahoo! And I went to Northwestern. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very exciting, very exciting. Yeah, so uh, one of the things I liked about journalism is you had to know a lot of things about a lot of subjects. That's So it made it kind of an easy major. Instead of having to write 4,000-page papers as an English major, which I was originally, uh, journalism allowed us to, to know many things about many subjects. And to be curious. Like. Yeah, which, which really fits into improv. And I, I tend to really, really love improvisers. I think they are... Just really, uh, they people—they're people who listen, and and they tend to be pretty well-rounded and know quite a bit. I think I really, really love them. I, I totally <laughs> agree. I totally agree. And and I think that the people that I know that I'm drawn to, just in terms of, of improvisers, but also artists in general, mm-hmm. are those people that look at something and say that is 
I'm looking at this right now, but when I turn a corner, it's going to look different to me. Well, I'm not going to see it as face value. I'm going to look at it from a bunch of different angles. And there's an awesome skepticism, and, uh, and that's not cynicism. It's skepticism to look at it and question it. And I think as a journalism major, I was taught to really question it, to really look at something and say, okay, how objective can I be? Because there's going to be a little bit of subjectivity. How objective can I be on what's happening right now? But don't you love... <clears throat> Sorry, but with Fox News, they are not objective. The, the Fox News is exactly the opposite of what we were taught to do in journalism school. I right. was there 67 to 71 in one of the best journalism schools in the nation. Mm -hmm. We were right. taught not to inject our opinion, not to do editorializing in the news, just present the facts. And, it, you know, it's a huge shock to somebody like me. To, I, I, I can't really watch a lot of the news. I, I really can't watch a lot of the news. And I'm not just talking about Fox News, right. but even where they're selling sex, you know, like where the newscasters have low-cut dresses. And, well, well, that's okay. That's okay. That I don't mind so much because after and they're real young, and that's fine. That's fine. That doesn't bother me. Right. I, I, I object more to people, um, you know, passing up the word news as editorializing. That, that does bother me. Well, I what, what, I, what, what gets me about about that because I, boy, I rail against it. Maybe you've seen it, but I rail against it so much. The idea of being incurious, being incurious, not being curious, being uncurious. Mm -hmm. The idea of, do you question what it is that's happening or are you saying, well, that's just the way it is and I won't live my life like that to say, that's just the way it is. I'm, if you show me something, I'm going to, my first reaction is going to be, I need to I need to do a little more research on this. Well, exactly. Exactly. Instead of, well, and, and in fact, right now, I've been, because I just played Mary Todd Lincoln this summer, which God only knows how I could get cast as that role, especially she was supposed to be 47. Yeah, so I love that. Not only was Mary five foot two and I'm five eleven and a half, but I'm a good deal older than Mary was at that point. But uh, so I did tons and tons of reading about the Civil War. You know, I literally lived in that period. Where, where was this that you worked? It was in the Hollywood Fringe. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in the Hollywood Fringe three out of five times. What a great which, thing. Which is so funny because it's geared towards 30-year-olds. And I have to tell you, I, after the second time I was in it, I said, okay, that's enough for me. When you say it's geared toward 30-year-olds, what you mean is the audience is 30. The audience. But, but your fellow actors aren't. 30. Well, they weren't in this show. They were very, uh, the actors in this particular show were so sophisticated and so outstanding. Right. Oh my God, they were mm. fantastic. They were really outstanding. Mm -hmm. But I, and I'm not even criticizing 30 year old audiences. I think it's fantastic. Those are the audiences we need to bring into the theater, and they're trying to expose them to any theater experience they can. <clears throat> <coughs> that's what we need. Right. I'm happy. Right. Oh, <laughs> so, no, I, I love so. the French. Where was the show? Oh, uh, it was at the lounge. It was at the lounge. And you know the lounge. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Um, oh, what was your show in Ireland? Um, I didn't do, I did, a, well, I did do a show, but I did a show with, um, see, what I usually do is I will fly to a place, uh -huh. I will work with the people there, and part of my package, if they want it, is for me to work with somebody, is to work with a group of people. Oh, I see. So I, I see. worked out of a bar. I worked out of a, um, a theater underneath the Charing Cross Railroad. Oh, oh my God, oh, that was awesome. Fun. It was really fun. So you did that as, as an improviser. I you did that as improv. improv. I taught improv and then I taught improv and then I worked with a guy, I worked with a guy named Jules Munz who is a producer and a teacher of improv and an actor, a really good actor, and I'd never met him before, and we did a 45-minute two-person show, improv wow. show, wow. long-form improv show. Wow. But, wow. but again, looking at that and saying, okay, what is it, how is it that that works? So it works because both of us are going into it saying, this is going to work. Oh, well, that's true, and it's also that you kind of both know what long-form improv is, so you're talking about the same ball game. When I came from Dudley Riggs Brave New Workshop That's in right. 1971 to Second City, I thought it was the same ball game, but uh, it wasn't. It was a slightly, it had slightly different rules, and we, Dudley Riggs was very physical, right. and we were not going for a lot of jokes. And when I got to Second City, it was really much more, it was more stand-up and tell jokes at that time. Now, I'm just saying that's the way it was in 1972. I, I'm not but that was, but you also look at the crew that you were with as well, 
what an amazing but crack. it changed so you know? so when you got there that wasn't the crew with tino and and bill murray and no. betty thomas no. that was no. later on it was later on when i got there in the fall of 1972 it was you uh, the harold ramus joe o'flaherty um john belushi Cat and Eugenie Russell, I mean Judy Morgan cast was just leaving. And I took Judy Morgan's place. So it was mm -hmm. Eugenie Ross Lemming. It was Joe O'Flaherty, Harold Ramis, John it was John um part of the time. Uh, John Belushi. John Belushi. And it was also part of the time and then it was Jim uh Fisher and Jim Stahl, Jim Stahl right. and David Rashi. Right. And then um but then Jim Fisher got mono and he went out and Brian Doyle Murray came in and took his place for a while. And then later Bill came in. So I've, I've been with a lot of people. Right. And then I got fired from the second city. Mm -hmm. And then I was rehired mm -hmm. about a year and three months later. What fired you? What got you fired? What got me fired? Well, you know, I think it was many things, but this is my guess. You know, I was 23 years old. So I was young. I had come from a very different um, theater in, in um, uh, Minneapolis, and Del Dudley Close, Brooks. Dudley, excuse me, Del Close was the director at right. Second City. After <clears throat> first show, I was in Harold Ramis and Joe Flaherty co-directed. Wow! And I, the second one, uh, Del came in, and I think uh, Del did not particularly like me. And you know, I have no, you know, for whatever reason. And so uh, he uh, talked to Bernie, and, and really I got fired. Bernie Sollins, the yeah. producer, second seat. Bernie Sollins, the producer. Who fired you? Uh, well, Bernie and, and Dell one night after the show. And I was crushed, but I did something at that point that, I, that I've never done before or since. And that's that I went to a psychic. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny that I did that? Because I was like. Where was the psychic? In Chicago. It was just down the street, or was it? Oh, I don't know. It must uh -huh. have been somebody that, that somebody told me about. I don't know, because I've never gone before since. And I, <laughs> and first thing when I came in, she went, oh my gosh, your energy. Oh my god, you have astounding energy. And then she said, oh, something huge has just been cut out. And she started talking. She and, knew that without you even saying anything. Yeah. And then she said, oh, you remind him of his mother. <gasps> And honestly, what's really strange, in that moment, I forgave Dell, And I just said, you know what? It's just one of those things. Our chemistry just didn't jive at that mm -hmm. moment. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't mine. We just, we just weren't clicking. Let's not. And so I really, I, and you know, I'm so grateful to that woman. <laughs> Whoever she is, thank you. <laughs> because, uh, because I was not bitter. Right. I mean, I was ashamed for a while. I'm right. not going to lie about that. Right. I was deeply ashamed. Right. I'd never been fired, and so to be fired from such a public place was shameful. But I, luckily, I quickly let go of any bitterness. And, and I think that's what got me rehired, because I ended up working with Second City on a TV show. I'm, I'm pretty good on camera. And, so, and I had a very wonderful experience in that TV show, and then... Um, when Second City had a company that was going out to California to Los Angeles, they needed a replacement people, and I was hired. So uh, I was with Second City for a, a year and three months. I was fired for a year and three months, and then I came back and was there again for a year and three months. So I was there with a completely different cast. Four years. And, well, yeah. You kind of did the math for you. Yeah, you, well, that's three <laughs> within years, that four-year period. Three years and nine months, right? Yeah, yeah, <coughs> yeah. And yeah. and the second period, I call the second period my pink period and my first period my blue period because I also was suffering from panic attacks mm -hmm. a little bit during my first period, and I think it made me um, a little nervous. Right. I think I was a well, little. Well, panic attacks would make you nervous. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> I'd never had them before, and right. frankly, it happened from smoking from eating uh, marijuana brownies with John Belushi. And I just completely <laughs> flipped out, flipped out. And then I was having terrible panic attacks. Terrible. Thank you, God. Again, I went to a wonderful therapist who mm -hmm. helped me. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm so grateful. How long did you go to a therapist for that? For one year. Not three months. <laughs> Not a year and three months. No. <laughs> but she was so helpful. Oh, I mean, right? Oh my God! I love therapy. I go. I go now just for maintenance. I oh, go for maintenance. Absolutely. When you get stuck. 
right? What's better? Right. Well, this is what I think happens. Somebody like uh, so a a therapist will will listen to you, take a moment and go, okay. We're going to look at one of those issues that you have because you're looking, you're throwing all this, and then I went over here, and this person said this, oh, and they're no. going to go, okay, let's look at one thing, and then you look at that one thing. And I remember Donnie DiPolo saying to me, "What a great guy!" Donnie mm. saying, "I was obsessed with him too." Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so what a great man. So he said he really helped me in this. He said, "I said Donnie. Well, first off, this is what Donnie said. I got hired, and I went over to the Old Town Ale House, and I told Donnie in that moment, I said, you're the first person I'm telling. I got hired uh, from the training center to the touring company. And Donnie said this. He said, it was a wonderful thing. He said, do your work, pay no attention to any politics, and just have fun. And the moment you stop having fun, get out. And I mm-hmm. thought, that was awesome. Prior to that, I took a class from him, not at Second City, but at Improv Olympic. And I had been fired from a Herald team uh, mm-hmm. with Sharna. Uh, Sharna fired me from her. She, she said, you used to be funny. I don't know what happened. But she fired me. And I deserved to be fired. I was not funny. And Donnie said, we work on one problem at a time. He said, we're going to look, work at, look at one thing and, excuse me, and deal with that one thing. And I thought, that's the way to go. Nice, nice. So, oh, I love Donnie DiPolo so much. That's so great that he helped I, he, you. He, he, Aww. But I think that's so. It was like a therapist because I think that any good improv yeah. teacher is going to be like a therapist. Well, yeah, you know, it, it is true. I wasn't feeling good during that period of you know my during the my blue, blue period. period. Uh-huh. And uh, what, one of the things that helped turn me because I was just really struggling with constantly feeling like I was flying out of my body and oh the panic attacks were awful. I mean they were really awful. And one of our cast members, Tino Ansana, Tino. his father was an opera teacher. And I started taking opera lessons <gasps> with his father. <laughs> I am a singer. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I started to feel good about myself outside of Second City or outside of my boyfriend relationships or outside of you know anything. I liked what was happening between this man and myself as far as my vo- voice. And feeling good about myself in that area start to spread onto other things. Isn't it interesting that he worked on your voice oh, and well, that yeah. spread out into other things? Well, the, I hired him vo- as a... As what's a, that? I hired him, though, as an opera. You but know, what I'm saying is... Oh, oh, I see what you're and, saying. You know, and the symbolicness oh, oh, of oh, him helping you with I your see. voice I and see. he clarified your yes. voice. Yeah. Not ju- not in the sound of it, but in the the, the emotional content of it. Right, right. Well, that was the, that's what happened, is that it ended up kind of healing me starting to heal me and then I had a really fun boyfriend I won't go into that specifically but uh, he was extremely helpful to me also damn he was fun and it didn't end up lasting a really long time but still it was just so much fun and you know so th- then there was another thing that felt good and I be- and then I was in the therapy so I began to claw my way out of that a very uh, scary scary space was it, was it clawing your way out of it or was it stepping on these things that were giving well, you yeah, foundation that's a better way to put it yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, because I look at I listen yeah. to the words that people use uh-huh. and I don't think that there was clawing no, no, I no, think no. You're you know right. I think that it was you climbing out yeah. of it yeah. and having the strength to go you know, to, to use your feet, to be on your feet, to move from but one place to another. But I didn't know that these things would help me. You know, it's just, they, but they did help me. You know, right. Oh, well, I, the therapy I hoped would help me, and it did. Right. Um, you were open for it. Y- yes, yes, yes. And But as far as the singing lessons, you know, I didn't know, but it really had a huge effect on my life. Did it? This is what I've been thinking about lately in terms of teaching improv. It's... When we start an improv scene, my partner tells me how to breathe. So if my partner comes in and says, Bill, you're late. There's that breath that I'm taking. Like, uh, And if later on he goes, but Bill, I love you. There's that breath that I'm yeah, taking. And when we have that breath and when we're in control of our breath, I think that we're in control of our emotional content as well. And when it comes to mm. singing, breath is all about that. And breath is what helps you um, uh, 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 express your express what a great word express your voice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so did the breathing help you I'm sure it did I'm sure it did and it, but what's interesting is when I joined the when I was rehired later on mm-hmm. I'm kind of skipping to another subject 
uh, Debbie Harmon, who I was replacing at the time, um, screamed in the show. And I literally ulcerated my vocal cords, uh -huh. ulcerated them. Right. And I had to have a, I had to have a speech teacher came in and watched me uh, do the show. And she said, I don't even know how you're doing this show. You're not even taking a breath. Right. So then I really worked on a lot of vocal exercises and a lot of breathing, which, you know, when you think of yogis, and they, certainly they say focus on the breath. I, ha I happened to enter it from a more theatrical way, singing and getting a, in, getting control of my voice, you know, my speaking voice. Right. I couldn't scream. Screaming, I have subsequently learned, I know, I know, like I had to scream one, screaming is very hard in the voice, that's why I should finish that sentence. Uh, I once had to scream for a show, and I said, I've got three screams in me. As far as a full three, as, as far as a full scream. After that, it damages my vocal cords. I wow. can't do it. Right. So that's what I did. <clears throat> I did. You know, you can. I can only do three. So I damaged myself in the show with, you know, that I. But eventually, I learned the technique to help myself through. Right. It, no, I'm just looking. I'm, I'm paying attention to everything that we're doing here. Yeah. So, and by I, the way, if you hear a funny sound, it's because David keeps hitting his arm on the chair. I do that. Very unprofessional. <laughs> I do that. Can't do all. that in voice uh, I had sessions. Somebody here yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yesterday, uh, the producer Ian Foley was here, and Ian makes fun of me because I do pop. Yeah, yeah. Here. Well, it's, that sound right there. That's Dave. Dave, well, Dave hitting the chair. This is what it used to be. What I used to do when people were talking is I used to go right, 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 and I don't want to do that anymore. Oh, and you because that I habit. would cut out your continuing your story. I think you just have to get a squeaky toy and just keep I, squeezing I, it. A silent, <laughs> a silent squeaky toy. A silent squeaky toy. When you said that you got three screams in you, it made me think about uh, the body as an instrument and how that becomes, it's, it's cliche to say your body is an instrument, but at the same time, it's what, what it doesn't say is not only is your body an instrument, but that which controls the body, your spirit, is really what you need to pay attention to. Mm. That which, you, so at that moment to go, my, I am in control of my body, my spirit is in control of my body. Mm. And my body is an emotional delivery system. So I get to be in control of that which I'm showing to you. Does that make sense? Yes, but not an easy thing to do. I think a lot of people don't feel in control and God bless them because I certainly did not feel control. A lot of times even now I don't. You know, I, I, I struggle with it. One of the things that really helped me was the thought of not trying to make it go away. I just wanted to go away, stop, stop, stop. It's a black hole that's always up there and you need to learn the techniques and things to control it. What's try. the black hole? I'm not sure, I don't know. What oh, you well, that was the panic attacks. Got it. Yeah, 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 the panic attacks really, uh -huh. really were, ooh, they were right. so debilitating to me. So yeah. your thought, when you said you just wanted to, because you squinched your eyes and you, and you, yeah, you yeah, put a gesture, to... get away from me. Yeah, yeah, so you yeah. squinched your eyes and you threw that gesture oh, in there. Stop. And so I talk about, I've talked about the ego, that gnawing thing that says you're not good enough and you, you know, you, you, you should be doing better and everybody uh -huh. else is doing better than you. That, uh -huh. that stupid little voice in your head. And I feel that it never goes away. I think that what we do is, we decide when to engage with it and not to engage with it. That, because it will never go away. Right, well I think that's what it is. People think that they're gonna make things go away and it isn't that things go away. They're always there. You have to learn how to, to control them or learn techniques, learn diversions, learn whatever you mm. need to learn. That's what the breathing and the singing was. and. And, and it could be eight million things. Right. Like now I play tennis really, really a lot. I'm uh -huh. a major tennis player. Mm -hmm. And it's funny how concentrating on that ball is such a beautiful, <laughs> right. you know, diversion. It's, right, keep your eye on the ball. And But the diversion, that was actually the name of a section of the newspaper. It's called my college paper was diversions. And I thought it was just such an interesting word. Diversions were... Yes, you go to class, but there are diversions. There's going to be an art show, uh -huh. and there's going to be a lecture, and there's going to... So these diversions, and I think what diversion... Diversions aren't really diversions. They're just another thing to do. Uh -huh. Do you understand what I mean? Uh -huh. yeah. To say that there are diversions says, this is the most important thing, and this is pulling you away from it. But really is that all things equal. 
-hmm. Like your tennis, your acting is not who it is that you are. It's a part of who it is、mm-hmm. that you are.、Mm-hmm. Your tennis is not who you are. It's a part of who it is that you are. So none of these things by themselves are diversions. Rather, they are part of who it is that you right. are. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. But I think that what people do is they go, "Oh, the most important thing for me is my career is the most important thing." And then, as you go on, you realize, no, it's it's not.、Mm-hmm. Well, we, I think when one is in one's twenties, you really want to try to establish a, your path in the world because you've got to make a living, frankly, for the next forty-five years. <laughs> and you know, which if you really looked at it that way, it would be a little daunting and overwhelming. Until you learn that you can change careers and you can do different things to make a living, but I think that is a very daunting idea. Forty-five years of of making a living. So I think people are really struggling with how to make it professionally, in any way. I don't even care if you're working at the UPS store.、Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like okay, this is good. I'm having I'm actually having a good time. I like it right but now. How, but、uh, no, I'm saying if I was a UPS store worker, I know. But what I'm saying is. That dialogue is: I'm having a good time right now. Right now. Right now. But someday, <clears throat> to earn more money, I'm going to have to become a manager of this store. How do I do that? So we, I think, when you're younger, you're really constantly trying to think of how to make money or move yourself in your career path. I think. Did you really think、that. about that, or did you just live your life? In my twenties. Yes. Because well, I don't think that you were thinking how it is. I think that, I, and again, I, I don't know you. I didn't. You did not. But, I, but what I'm saying is, it's interesting that you're giving this advice, but you didn't follow this advice. No, because I think <laughs> as a performer, it's but, it's a different. But is it? Because when you're working at the UPS store, I, I when you're working at the UPS store, isn't that I'm doing this just for now? Because I worked at a camera store. Uh huh. You know, that's what I did, and I never thought that was going to be my life. I thought I'm 23, 24, 25 years old, and there's something else that's out there. But in the meantime, this is what it is that I'm doing. Oh, and I still, and I think that you did as well. Obviously, did because we're having a conversation about it. You followed that which gave you the most joy. That's also to say, you also followed the thing that gave you probably a lot of challenges that、mm. made you struggle, and that that you know that caused you grief at certain times too. But those things go. Hand in hand. Well, that's true. That's true. I, I honestly never intended to be a performer. I'm a journalism major. I went back to Minneapolis after college from Minneapolis, and I tried to get a job at the Minneapolis Star and Tribune, and this would be in 1971. And they said, "Well, you're probably going to want to quit and get married and have babies." And I was so stunned. They said that to me. Northwest was a very highfalutin kind of place. Yeah, you know, we're talking lofty ideas. I was really. I, I said, "Wow, I hadn't thought about that at all." <laughs> I was really so stunned that he said that, and、uh, I wasn't getting the job, at least at the time.、Mm-hmm. And then I went and saw a show, Dudley Riggs' Brave New Workshop, and I said, "I could do that." Right. I could do that. Wasn't was、so、Gelman around then? Was because Gelman came, came out of that too. He's younger than I am. Oh, okay, but he、He's、wasn't、younger. around. At,、uh, he yeah he. He's younger than I am, right, so he, he was. So did you see was, him there? And I was young, so no,、right. no, because didn't Galman wasn't Galman like in his twenties and like eighteen, nineteen, twenty when he was at hired at the main stage? He was. He was. I think he was nineteen, but I was just twenty-three. Right. So, so, so the thing is, is I had been at Dudley Riggs when I was twenty-one and twenty-two. I think no, twenty. Yeah. So I don't know. Michael Galman wasn't around at that particular okay, time. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay, so you look at you looked at that because I looked at um, uh, I looked at the second sit because my our paths are very similar.、Um, I looked at the second city main stage, and it was Shelley Long, and it was that cast. So、uh-huh. it was Shelley Long. Well, probably Miriam Flynn. Shelley, Mary- Shelley took my place, and I left. Well, I remember- was my college roommate.、Wow. I said,、hey, uh-huh. "I'm leaving," and she she.、Uh, Shelley took your place. Yes, Shelley took over my role. That's、roles. awesome. Yeah, yeah. And what year was that? Nineteen seventy-six. So that yeah, that makes sense. I was seventeen, and I、uh-huh. would go to see the sets、uh-huh. at Second City because、uh-huh. uh-huh. I live. I'm from Chicago, so I would go to see the sets at Second City. I remember seeing Shelley, and who else is in that cast? Well, it would be Miriam, Jim Sherman, Stephen Cantman,、mm-hmm. George Went, probably Don DePolo.、Um, 
maybe Mert Rich? I don't remember Mert. I don't remember Mert. But then I saw, later on, I saw Danny Breen and I saw uh, Lance Kinsey. Yeah, like were right a few afterwards. years, A, a few yes. years right after uh -huh. that. Uh -huh. And I looked at that and I said, I remember looking at uh, Miriam, uh, 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 Megan Fay. I remember looking at Megan Fay and going, that's the kind of woman I want to marry. That's the kind of woman, a red-haired Irish lady. Well, also, she was so damn smart. Oh, she was so smart. My God. Oh, so smart. I did marry she... an Irish smart lady. I, I was married for 14 years. That's what I married. <laughs> I believe, well, Megan is also, I think, one of the best actresses around. Mm -hmm. I still talk about her in the movie with uh, Steve Martin, um, of which name, of course, no, I'm not. It's one of the first things Megan did. Mm -hmm. uh, it has Barbara Harris in it. Right. But looking at all, I look at all those people that we worked with, uh -huh. and you were at the 50th, right? Yes. Yes. And I look at all those people at the 50th that we worked, and I looked at that hallway in between the two theaters and walking through that hallway and seeing all those people backstage who are getting ready to go on stage. It was like going, it was like heaven. It was heaven. It was, yeah, it was, uh, and it was heaven in a way where you go, oh, I know all these people. I know all I know. these people. Well, that's because Second City is somewhat like a, a fraternity slash sorority. Right. It's, we are all, we are, and and I give the producers, Bernard Sollins, and now Andrew Alexander, who really did follow Bernie's example a lot, and uh, and kept, they kept it as a family. They really treat us right. They, they let us know when somebody in the family has died, yes. they they keep us informed of events. Right. We are we are part of the fraternity sorority of the Second City, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. To I, be I believe of. that there's there's the family aspect, and there's also this. I get choked up about it. This the quality of work oh. that we do. Oh, the, amazing! The the, um, the amount of the quality of work that we do, and again to look at the cast that you were in, that lovely picture of you and Tino and Jim Stahl and, and Bill Murray and Betty David Thomas Rashi. and David Rashi. And, and John Candy. And John Candy, yeah, yeah, right? Depends. Yeah, there's a couple of cats. Yeah, right? But there's the, the one picture that I saw was on John Candy's website. Uh, the John Candy, everything candy, it's called, I think. And to look at that and to say, every single one of those people has affected me in ways I don't even know them. But they've affected me in ways just being an audience member that really moves me. That just moves me so much. John Candy, I mean, wow. <sighs> yeah, he was really, oh, he was such a sweetheart. He was such a sweetheart. And then later I did a show with them in 1980. Um, no, no, I did it in the fall of 1979, right after I did Caddyshack, mm -hmm. uh, called Big City Comedy, I think it was called that at the time, and we shot it in um, in Utah, Provo, Utah, at the Osmond Studios, and John Candy was the star of that. And recently, I just changed that from the digital. I had a three-quarter inch videotape on it, and I got it transferred to a. CD. You did. I so it's got do a that. really nice quality, and I was watching with my husband. Every single bit, and it's funny. So I sent it over right away to Tino, who didn't have a copy of it, because I really wanted Tino to see it, because he's in it, too. John Candy and Tino are so funny. Fred Willard's so funny. Fred Cass right? Yeah. I want to talk to Tino, too. Tim I've been, trying to, I've been trying to get Tino, and uh, it's tough. It's tough. I've been trying to get in touch with him. And maybe he doesn't check his Facebook page, because... Oh, no. Yeah, no. Do you have a... I, I don't... I think I have a, I have an email of him, too. You, you you contacted me that way, but I prefer the people email me directly. Right. So here's how you get in touch with me. <laughs> uh, everybody who wants to talk to me. No, I mean... Uh, because Tino... I, I, Tino is another one where... And it was his father who taught me opera. Right. And that... And again, that's a connection that you had from Second City, right? Oh, yes. Right? Yes. That helped you... Be that helped you uh, be at peace with who it is that you are. Yeah, Tino's father ended up helping me. I mean, that's such a great thing. But also, one of the things I loved about Second City is we pretty much knew everybody's family. Right. Right. Like uh, I knew all the Murrays, you mm -hmm. know, because the mom Lucille would come down, and <laughs> and uh, Nancy the nun 
who's a, who's a, a nun, drove me back to Evanston one day, and so I got to ask a lot of questions about what happens in the nunnery. Right. And um, it wasn't as exciting as I envisioned it. No. Um, yeah. It's not supposed to be. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I think I've but you want, it, you want it to be salacious. I, I think I've been reading too many novels. Exactly. It's like, so you're married to Christ. What's that like? What's that like? Like, what do you guys do? Like, do you fight? And what happens on your anniversary? Because there has to be an anniversary, right? No. Well, you, have, you mean, well if when you're married to Christ. Well, you mean, you mean uh, as a nun, your induction into Right, but isn't that what you are? You are married to Christ, right? Well, yes, I don't think they celebrate anniversaries. But Dave, I would think that I they... think I better tell you. I better break you it better to you break, now. I don't want in, to break it to you. In case but, you're right. thinking of becoming a nun and you're <laughs> holding out for anniversaries. Yeah, I don't think that's... But we did know each other's family. Uh, Amy Sedaris, uh, Amy, Amy was in my cast and David came from... Uh, you know David, right? Yes. David came from wherever, New York or something, to, and moved to... Chicago, and I remember him watching all of our uh, rehearsals. I remember him sitting there and watching our rehearsals yeah. and going, who is this guy? And Fran Adams, you know Franny, right? Yes. Uh -huh. Fran Adams, I knew her mom, her sisters, know, her two sisters. I mean. You know right? everybody. Know everybody. John Rubano and his wife, and, 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 and oh my God, oh my God, who we knew. Yeah. But the, I go, again, I go back to the quality of Oh, he's of hitting his chair right now. I'm doing it right now. Drink. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he's hitting uh, his chair. I got to take a video of that. Yeah. I, I, I think about the quality of actor that, we have, oh, and to yeah. look at them, and, and, to, and to look at the work that we did on stage, and it was all about the emotional content. It's not about the joke. Yes. Oh, I have to tell you, really, my, I, I really think one of my top scenes of all time is the scene you did about um, Steve Carell and Steve Colbert going home to... Uh, the South. What is that piece called? Maya. Oh my God! When I first saw that piece, I just went that that literally blew my mind. That piece. I thought that was the funniest thing. I and when you recreated it at the fiftieth, I was just like, it just. Oh, I have to be careful not to touch my my mic. I don't right. want to become like. Right. Hey. Good. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, oh. God, I love that piece so much. I just have to tell you, that's one it's of my a, favorite It's a beautiful scene. It is a beautiful, beautiful scene. Oh. Where Stephen and Steve go back, and it's Colbert's hometown. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the nut of the scene is when Stephen goes back to his hometown, he's an old black woman. Yes. And, uh, and I heard that it started because he was complaining the fact that he's so white and he never got any of the really interesting parts that he wanted to do, like be an old black woman. And so that, you know, when he went back to his hometown, he became an old black woman. And everybody right. comes up and treats him like he's an old black woman. But also the look on Stephen Carell's face as he's seeing how people are treating his friend and their slow dawning and realization. And then Stephen Colbert comes and confides, you know, home, I'm an old black woman. And the look on Stephen Carell's, that slow, you know, dawning of what the hell? And the evolution of, because Carell becomes, at the end, he becomes Sarah Brown, an old black lady. Yeah, That's what he becomes at the end of a scene. And I, and I believe that I, there were three scenes at Second City. I did ten shows there. There were three scenes at Second City, and I won't mention the other two because it's boring to talk about it, but I feel like there were three scenes. There were, somebody came in with an idea... We workshopped it that afternoon. We put it in the set that night, and the next day it was in the show. You're kidding me. No, That's three scenes. Three scenes that were like that. That through, I mean, but it's, but it says, what it says, it says the directors, which is a thankless job who, who over there. Who is the director? Oh, the director of, that, of that show was Tom Janis. Oh, okay. Well, what I love about that piece, and, and kudos to the director as well as the performers, is that he allowed them to go on for a long time. This was a slow developing scene. This is not a fast scene. There were not tons of jokes. I mean, along the way, it was behavior, and it was such a far-out idea, and the fact that they pulled it off so astoundingly well. It reminds me a little bit of one of the very first scenes at Second City, 
uh, between Barbara Harris and Alan Arkin. I knew you were going to say that scene. Really? Uh, at, the, at the art gallery? Yes, at the art gallery, which went on for all, I think your scene, I remember, was 11 and a half minutes. And it's the art gallery scene is about, is, is a similar length of time, maybe even 15. So I thought no, it was 20 minutes, that art oh, gallery scene. Oh, you're kidding me. I think it's 15, but we shall find out. Right. And the other one, she'll have to buy the other one a chocolate cake. <laughs> Yeah, okay. but it's... I'll buy a chocolate cake anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something. something. Anyway. But, but those two, that, uh, but you also look at Barbara Harris and Alan Arkin, and those, t those days, because the background of Second City was plays, and those days it was all about developing characters. Developing characters. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I was just talking at Fred Kaz's memorial in Chicago, uh -huh. and, and uh, I was saying, that, you know, because Fred was our piano player, and I was saying, in those days, you know, we didn't do long form. And I'll talk about long form in one second. But we did we did scenes with a beginning, a middle, and an ending. And, um, and finding the endings was so darn hard. It really was hard. And Fred was very integral in going, da -da 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 -da, and you'd, you know, kind of saying, it's time to end it. You'd want to go, I know, I know, I'm trying up here, gosh darn it. And then the light, you know, you'd, you'd be praying at some point, Freddie would go like that. But they had to, and to nod to the light person so the light person could bring the lights down. But they had to find an, in an organic place that, that felt okay to bring the lights down. They can't just bring it down in the middle of something, otherwise everybody's left with egg on their face. Though that sometimes happens. The, the long form is easier that way. <laughs> there are no endings. So, it's just edits. And it's so funny. When I mentioned that at the memorial, there was like this murmur of appreciation. It's like people are going, yes, it was harder. <laughs> it really was because we had to have beginning, middle, and an ending. Right. And I remember when the show changed, where that Pinata Full of Bees show came in that um, Tom Janis directed as well, mm. where they deconstructed the entire stage, mm -hmm. where they had the backstage area being shown, and people walked back and forth, wow. where they took all, they took the back wall off, <gasps> and when people had to get from one part of stage to the other, they just didn't take focus and they walked to the other side while a scene was going on downstage. Wow. And I must not have seen that. Yeah, what, that. what year do you think that was? That was, well, it was right after I left. So I was there at the 35th anniversary, Old Wine and New Bottles, which uh -huh. was a best of show. It was a horrible show. It was a best of show that Sheldon Patinkin had directed, late Sheldon Patinkin had directed. And then right after that, um, so Adam McKay that? came in. Uh, it was Adam McKay, John Glazer, uh, Scott, I don't know what Scott adds it. Uh, Scott Allman, mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, 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 Jenna Jolovitz. It was it was really an amazing well, cast. Years? It was so. If Second City was thirty five, and so it was two thousand eighty four. No, 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 no. Nine, 1959, So it was oh, ninety four. It was thirty five. So it was. Uh, uh, yeah, I left in ninety four. So ninety four, ninety five, ninety five, ninety six. Oh, it was that. Late. Yeah, ninety five, ninety six. Oh my gosh! You so were there much at, after I was. We, wow! But all that changed, and what ended up happening was because of this is what I think because so many people there had done the heralds, and with the heralds you have edits like that. You didn't have blackouts, lights up, lights down, blackout. That that created a thing where you can sag into another scene with. Uh, you know, just repeating a lot of dialogue or, you or know, whatever, a movement physical or whatever. Movement or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, when I, I do have to say in, in 19, when I graduated from college, which was 1971, uh, I, I started at Dudley Riggs in the fall of 1971. And uh, so, and I was 22 years old then. And uh, in the uh, spring of 1972, uh, this nice young guest director, her name was Roberta McGuire. Oh yeah, brought a friend of hers in to work with us. His name was Del Close, and this is when I was in Minneapolis. And this would be the spring of 1972. And he taught us this form called the Herald, and he said he'd named it after the piano player Harold. He said, "What should we call this?" Uh, he looked over, and Harold was playing the piano. And he said, well, "We'll name it Harold." And they called it the Herald, and we learned the Herald in the spring of 1972. And we used that form to develop material for the show. And we also, in fact, actually, no, I, I might, no, I think I'm wrong. I think we actually learned in the fall of 71. And then we, and then we used it uh, when we first started improvising. That's the form that we used in the fall of 1971. That is what we did. So I must have learned it in 71. 
And at Dudley, at Dudley Riggs. At Dudley Riggs, brand new workshop from Del Close. Uh -huh. First from Roberta McGuire, but then really from Del Close. Right. And I have my mimeographed sheet on mimeographed. the notes of the Herald mm -hmm. from Del Close and what a Herald is and, you know, what, what the components of it are from 19... I really think it's the fall of 1971. But I never used the Herald except in the, the very beginning of Dudley Riggs. I never used it again. I never used it performance again, ever, because we always did scenes with a beginning, a middle, and an ending my entire time at the Second City, which was the early night. At the Second City. Did you ever do the shows at the pier, at Santa Monica Pier? Do you remember the Second City alumni shows that they had there um, at the Ash Grove on oh, the pier? Oh, oh, you mean here? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. Here. Here, did oh, you yes, 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 I did those. And, so and, I did, did, and I did do some Herald's yes, then. So, yes, yes, yes. Very late and very much later in my life, I did, yes. I did a few of them. That would be 95, 96, something like yeah, that. Yeah, 95, yeah, 96, yeah. 95, 96, And, I, and I, uh, I, I like the form. Mm -hmm. I think I would probably be a little rusty in it right now. Right. I would certainly love to practice it for a moment mm -hmm. if I was going to perform it, but I right. could do it. Right. I think there's, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it's kind of dreamlike, you know. But I feel that all improv is dreamlike. I think, and I oh. mentioned this before, and I just mentioned it the other day. Um, it's closer to me. It's closer to dream than it is fiction or theater. Because when you're doing, because we can make anything happen. Absolutely, especially when you've got the power to transform. Because don't forget, in your dreams, you might be walking down a corridor, and suddenly it becomes. You know, right? Yeah, it, it, but it is. But you can become an old black woman. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. I mean, in that way. Yeah. And I used to, I don't, I used to feel envious of people who, who were in legitimate theater because they got props and they got costumes and they got a set. But we have props, costumes, and a set. But we, we make them as we need them. Yeah, we have it all. We, we have, have it all. all. Yeah. We really, really have it all. And I think that living in a state of abundance to think that whatever it is that I need, I can have. Yeah. And that's a major part of the way that I live my life based upon the lessons that I had that I learned through improvisation. Well, that's a very wonderful gift to have given yourself. That Really, that's a terrific way to look at it. That's a very positive way to view your life. And I commend you on that. And, nice. I think that one of the, thank you. I think that one of the reasons is all the great directors that I've had and the teachers that I've had because I would not know those things had it not been for those people. You're well, you know, I had a, an interesting experience when I read the Del Close book. Uh, which one, Guru? No. Uh, Funniest Man in the Room? Oh, okay. Funniest uh -huh. Man in the Room? Right, right. Uh, I have to say, I laughed my rear end off reading that book. I really loved that book. I have to tell you, it made me really appreciate Del Close. Was yeah. that, that Howard, Johnson's, yes. Howard Johnson's book? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I really like that one. Yeah. And I decided I'm going to go back and look at my scrapbook, my little cute <laughs> scrapbook, you know, at, and find out who directed all my shows because I certainly know about Joe and Harold directing the first one. I'll tell you about it. Dell directed all of my shows at Second City, and I don't have a, much of a memory about it. Isn't that interesting? Literally, I have a blank. Now, in my life, there's very few things that I have a blank about. I have a blank about it. I remember when the book was being written, I thought, oh, I hope he doesn't ask me. Because I can remember two visual images. And I can remember a few other things. But I definitely, Dell had some very important lessons like, you know, do not underestimate the, do not underestimate the intelligence of your audience. Work at the top of your intelligence. Don't dumb it down. You know, oh, that is that is a big thing that people do all the time. They dumb things down all the time. And, of course, that's one of the things when you get a really smart cast together and they're working at the top of their intelligence. Oh, my, it's so Well, when delightful. you dumb it down, first off, it's really hard to do because <laughs> yeah, it's really, really true. hard to make yourself dumber than, than you are. It, it's a tremendous amount of work because you're saying, I have to pretend to know, I have to pretend to not know things that I really know really well. And, and what's really weird is the audience can see that you know them. You know, the audience, I have a huge respect for the audience. The audience can see everything. Right. They can see the smallest gesture. They can see your thoughts. Oh, my God. You, you really, you think you're pulling one over on the audience. No, the audience is ahead of you. They're smart. They're if you think about it, they paid to sit in a dark room 
and to be a voyeur into what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And when you are a voyeur and you're looking at something in that way, you miss nothing because you're going, oh, <laughs> I shouldn't be seeing this. Oh, you know what I mean? Like at that moment, you go like, so the way that I look at it is they, they pay to be voyeurs. So we have to be voyeur meat, meat for the voyeurs, which means if they're seeing everything and you and I are in a scene together, I have to see everything that you're doing and be inspired by everything that you're doing. And you have to do the same for me because the audience, we're being the audience by proxy. So the audience yeah. is hoping that, oh my God, did you see? I hope he saw that. Will, I hope she saw that. On the other hand, if you do something on stage and I don't see it and the audience sees it, the audience knows that I haven't seen it. So, I mean, you know, I don't have to see everything you've done because. Frankly, I just can't if my back is turned to you. Mm -hmm. But I might turn around and say, did you just, yes. you know. right. And the audience will know that you did do that. But Which know, is a gift too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a nice thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a gift as well. And, and then we accept that. We just accept that. We accept that. Uh, mm -hmm. But looking at Dell, Dell taught me, uh, going back to this, he taught me to be curious he taught me to read, as, and it's what you were saying earlier, read as much as you can about as many things as you can oh, yeah. because you're going to use them. And he, was very smart. Very smart. Very smart. And, and I go back to the, what you were saying about the idea of me being mindful of everything that's going on and, and living my life. With, there's a certain calmness that I have. And one of the things that I learned from Dell is um, be, pro be proud of of knowing all those things and be eager to know all those things and to listen to somebody, but it also has to do with our journalism training because our journalism training says, tell me about you. Yeah. And because I know a little bit about you, but tell me about you. You know what? I do that. And my daughter says, oh, my mother is giving you the grand inquisition again. And I said, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I'm trained to do this. I am curious about people. I have to ask them questions. She thinks that she takes that sometimes negative, like that I'm grilling somebody. I said, I'm not grilling them that because I want to know and I'm going to use it something against them. Well, how old, is, how old is your daughter? Oh, she's 34. Oh, oh, okay. She's older than I thought. That she oh, was. yes, yes. Yeah. Well, uh, because at that... I'm older than... <laughs> but it's also the idea that that thought of when you're younger, you're like, Mom, stop it. I know. She's still got that. Oh, she's still about got that. About that area. Yeah. She thinks I ask too many questions, but mm -hmm. but I'm really interested in how people tick. I have to tell you. I, and you also remember what it is that they say. Oh, yes. Well, I'm very interested in why people do what they do in their moves and their choices. As an actress, well, people fascinate me. There's a lot of people who are disgusted by people. They find them really well. That's isn't that what a, what a misogynist? No, no, a, a misanthrope. Misanthrope. Yeah, a misanthrope. A hater of mankind. I know. I like that name. I am Miss Anthrope. Mrs. Anthrope. Yes. That. Don't come into my house, <laughs> exactly. please. Right. You and your people, <laughs> Miss Anthrope. Isn't that a great that name? Really oh, that really has to be times. someone. Oh, that's really good. <laughs> that's you. really, really good. I have used that. So uh, yeah, there are those people, but I, I feel like the people that I like to sit and talk to are those people that also are. I, who was it that said this? If you want to be interesting, be interested. I think that I, I, mm -hmm. I give that to Elaine May. I think Elaine May said that. If you want to be interesting, be interested. And I love being around people that ask me questions about me. Because I'm going to ask you questions about you. Mm -hmm. And if we're not having this dialogue, if it's just a monologue of me grilling you, do the people that your your daughter perceives you as grilling ever ask you questions? No. See, they, that's, they can, that's their can, problem. Yes, exactly. It is. I, I won't name names mm -hmm. who I'm talking about. Yes, yes, I think that is their problem. They, they've got something to hide. That's my honest-to-God feeling. <laughs> they've got something to hide because if you didn't have something that you were trying to keep from <clears throat> your hide, why would you bother if I ask you something? Because, you know, it, it, maybe they're so afraid of being judged. I ask you what That's you exactly do. It. If I ask you what you do for a living, and you th you're working in a McDonald's, maybe you think that I'm going to think less of you. 
But, but that's know, your ball game. That's their ball that's game. Their that's their ball not game. yours. Because in this right. day and time, we're going to go, you've got a job. Good for you. That's what I, yes. I, I was just, I was in, um, uh, when I was in London, someone, I was having a conversation with someone, I can't remember who it was, and I, and and he was doing his job, and I said, thank you so much for doing this. I don't remember what the hell it was. And I said, it's nice to work, isn't it? And he goes, it's really nice to work. Whatever the hell it is that yes. you're doing, yes. replace ambition with gratefulness. Be grateful for the fact that you are working at this moment at the UPS store. That's what you're doing yeah. at this moment. That's all that's yeah. happening right now. Right. It's right. not to say, so So whoever it is that says that that perceives you as being judgmental is actually the judgmental one of what it is that they're doing because there's shame involved. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That is it. Mm-hmm. I mean, because anyway, we all have had many jobs. Some, oh, my God. Yes. What, right? are we no, I'm just saying we all have had many jobs. Yeah, when I think of yeah. some of the jobs, no, we're fine. When I think of some of the jobs that I've had, I had a job where I, it was 19... 91 or 89 or something and my job was to go oh boy was to go from this place on peterson california called elmar mole clinical labs mm-hmm. m-o-l-a-y mm-hmm. and it was a laboratory that did tests on bodily fluid mm-hmm. so i went to hospitals like county hospital yeah, and michael the reese hospital fluid. and i would in the you know those file boxes mm-hmm. they're just cardboard file mm-hmm, boxes mm-hmm. and then the top would slip over them nice mm-hmm, and neatly mm-hmm. well that's the tray that i would use to hold bodily fluids in because at that time with my hands pick up urine specimens in plastic bags little and stool samples i don't think you'd be doing that today that's what i'm i'm saying yeah. like at that time and that oh. was a job that i had and i gotta tell you i love that job oh isn't that funny yeah. I love that job. Yeah. Well, when we were in college at Northwestern, my roommate was a communicate. Well, I had a couple. Shelley Long was one of them. But one of my other roommates was a communications um, major. And she worked from 6.30 to 9.30 in the morning at the bakery, the local bakery. Oh, she loved that job. Saying hello to people and getting them coffee and taking the things out of the ovens in the back and bringing hot cinnamon rolls. Oh, she loved it. She ended up, she's a very big fundraiser right now for the university, well, for University of Wisconsin for years and for the ballet companies in New York, the Joffrey and huge fundraiser. But she loved that job. So the secret is happiness. I mean, really try to try to find happiness in it because try to get, you know, it's not, it's not the, um, status of the job it's finding some happiness in it because happiness is contagious also i think that when i look at the little i look at those kind of jobs like working at as that the at that elmar mole clinical lab i think there were people that that i worked at that i thought were high stat that they were they were high status and they were proud of what it was that they did and it didn't matter what it was that they did they could be a lab tech but i looked at them i thought you you are grounded and I don't care what you do. Your the quality of your human beingness, pardon me, inspires me so much. Oh, nice. Well, that's a great thing. To but don't. Find. But don't you also find that at, at you know when you were working at places too, you would look at somebody and say, "I love the way that that person carries themselves." Well, it's true, and you don't find it all the time because people. No. Also, a lot of times now we have the idea that oh, we're being persecuted or we're being discriminated against or we're being held down or whatever. I think that there's a lot of um, uh, shoulds attached to our job. I should be doing this. I should be treated like this. I should be this. I should be that. Um, so I, I don't know. That That's just a that should, random I, thought. I, well, I, I, I always have. feel like there's that. I don't know where the phrase came from, but when I hear people saying that, I just want to say don't should on yourself because that's really what it that's is funny. because it when i was married my wife would do a lot of you should do this you should do that you should do this you should do that and i was thinking about that that word should and there's such a there's such a value judgment in that that there's something right that's being done and you're not doing it oh for sure no no for sure when somebody says to me if i say oh you know because if somebody is like really acidic and i go oh you know, if you eat a lot of leafy greens, 
it'll make you more uh, alkaline. And then viruses don't love an alkaline environment as much as they love an acidic. Just, just, I'm just throwing I like that idea. Yeah, okay. and then somebody will go, oh, yeah, I really should do that. The minute they use the word should, I, I swear, I don't care what we're talking about. When they say, I, oh, I really should do that, I know they won't. They won't. They aren't ready for it. Right. And they're not going to do it. Keep I love going. It. Keep going. Keep, keep talking. But I, but I feel the same. I'm closing the um, oh. I feel the same way. And uh, I thought he was going to the away. bathroom. This is so, this is not, I mean, we're not talking about Edward R. Morrow here. Um, uh, uh, I feel the same way. To look and go, oh, you just told me that you're never going to do this. Oh, well, at you're least you're not going to do it now. Right. Or, or, but you have categorized it in something that is good for you, and you don't feel that right now is the time right to do it. Right now is not the time but, to do it. And the great thing, uh, uh, to, because oh, I, I also correct, to correct somebody, and that's even a weird word too, is to say, if somebody says, oh, I should do that, and they go, mm -mm, you could do that. It's not that you should do that. You could do that. Look at that. That's nice. You that's just a did nice an option. How about that? There's your option. Oh, I just, I just silently think, oh, they're not ready for it now, so don't worry about that. You know, I just kind of let it go. But, you know, if somebody says, oh, I'm going to do that, when somebody says, I will, or I'm going to, I'm going to, um, then I know that, that it's something different. But when they say, yeah, I should do that, I know, uh-uh, ain't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Just that little should uh -uh. word. Uh-uh, it's uh, not going to happen. Yeah. No, and, and so, again, because you're thinking like the way I think, where you're, we're listening to people on a subdermal level. We're listening to people not what it is that they say, but how it is that they say it. Yeah. And when we, when we do that, I feel like I'm getting to know you in a way that you don't know that I'm getting to know you. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I am listening to you in a way. Words are so important to me. And the way that we, the way that we express ourselves, it could be elegant, or it could be crude. And if I'm being crude in the way that I'm expressing myself, I'm doing that intentionally. If I'm being elegant, I'm doing that intentionally, mm -hmm. because I get to do that. Because I live in a world where I get to do that. I live in a world where I get to express myself to who it is that to whom it is that I'm expressing myself in a way that I want to express myself. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And it makes my life so much. Funner, you know? Yeah, that's true. Because there are some people who can't change. They they just say things crudely all the time, mm -hmm. or they just say things elegantly all the time. Usually, those people who are elegant can say things in a crude way. You find if you really dig down, deep down, and usually people who express things crudely, every once in a while they say something that's just so beautiful and oh. elegant. So. It, people obviously do have the potential of any of those things. In them, don't I believe that too. So, and I also believe that if you say I can't do that, what if you said that I could? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because I think so often we go, oh, I, 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 oh, how nice it would be if I would be able to go to Europe. And I say, what's stopping you from going to Europe? Oh, I, I don't do those sort of things. And I say, that's, you haven't done that sort of thing doesn't mean you can't do that sort of mm -hmm, thing. Because mm -hmm. the yeah. career that I have is so not what m many people have. And it's only because I said, I'm going to follow my bliss and let this direct me to where it is I'm going. And, and I think that so many people just can't themselves into a corner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, you, you, you're also... In case you don't know, Dave is a very successful teacher and runner of workshops. Yeah, no, he is. You you do a very good job at what you do, and you've gained a reputation. And well, but how did that happen, though? Mm -hmm. It happened because people, I people had had faith in me, and they sat and they talked to me on a level that, like, I look at Gelman, Michael Gelman, and Gelman and I have had many conversations where he. He grounded me and he heard me in a way, and he challenged me in a way. And was like, "How dare you talk to me that way?" And he yeah. and he'd say, "Well, we do what you want, but sooner or later." And it's what you were saying: sooner or later, you're going to come around. Sooner oh, or later, you're going to come around. And it's what you said about the person that says, "Well, yeah, I should that do that," and you and you you quipped, "Well, they may not do it now." They're not ready for it now. They're not ready for it. That's now. what I think. I actually don't say that generally out loud to people because. 
I, as soon as they say that to me, I really do know they're not ready for it now. And that's okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, we are. There, there's nothing you can do about it anyway. When some, if somebody's not ready for something, you can't make some. You can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. So right. you have to, sometimes you throw out an idea and they're ready for it. And Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea, you know. They, but other times and, and, but everybody gets to, be, to, to evolve the way that they get to evolve. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the wonderful thing to say. And that's really great to say they're just not ready for it now. They're just not ready for mm-hmm. it now. And for us to give ourselves the permission to say, you know what, that's really a good idea. I'm just not ready for it now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. That's a good way to put it too. Yeah. To say, uh, if, yeah. So, to give yourself slack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Let's end there. All right. That was good. Thank you so much. Well. I thought we were going to be talking about improv and careers and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I guess surprise. That. Thank you for listening to ADD Comedy. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on Dave, you can go to his website at www.davidrosowski.com or follow Dave on Twitter at drosowski.